Take your Bibles, please, and turn towards the end of the New Testament to the first epistle of John. 1 John and chapter 1. We're going to read the first four verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Let's pray together. Lord, once again we thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We thank you that you have given to us the truth the truth of salvation in your son Jesus Christ all the things that we need to know in order that we might enter into eternal life Lord we pray that you would by your Holy Spirit lead us into these things afresh this morning that we might appreciate once again the wonder of your grace and love towards us in Jesus Christ and appreciate the gifts that you've lavished so freely upon us not least the gift of eternal life in Christ we ask these things in his name Amen Amen. what is it that makes you really happy fills you with delight with pleasure with joy so that you are thankful and you are satisfied your work your possessions particular achievements human relationships your children your husband your wife your friends if you're a keen sports person and you support a particular team you're elated if your team wins But these sorts of things, good in themselves, they're somewhat fleeting, aren't they? They're elusive for some people. You may have joy in your relationship with your husband, your wife, your children, but there are many people for whom that is an elusive joy. And there are many things in this life that can sometimes be unrewarding, frustrating disappointing things don't go according to plan and our expectations are dashed and our joys are replaced by sorrows and distress when John is speaking here in verse 4 about joy and happiness he is writing he says that your joy may be full he's writing to Christians and he's writing to them with that express purpose that is their joy may be full like a a pot that is full to the brim and overflowing or a joy that is complete in and of itself it's been fulfilled there's nowhere else to go because you have this joy it is your possession And you realize what a great blessing it is. Now there is a question in verse 4. And I'm not going to work on it in any great length. But the question is whether it's your joy or our joy may be full. In the end it doesn't make a great deal of difference. Because the, the apostle John is writing here. He's an old man. This is towards the end of his life. And he's writing as their pastor as an apostle he's writing to those whom he loves very much and 
If it's his joy, then it'll be the joy of those to whom he is writing. So in the end, it doesn't make a great deal of difference as to what uh, the actual reading of the text is. It's a minor uh, question. But the joy of this man and the joy that he is writing about and the others share and the joy that he desires for them that it will be full and complete, this joy has to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This joy is a joy that knows no bounds. This joy is not fleeting. This joy is not something that is elusive. This joy is permanent. When you become a Christian, your heart and life should be filled with joy, with gladness, with happiness, because of eternal life now it is a comparatively rare thing in this world for people to have a fullness of joy when you look around you when you read your newspaper when you look on the internet and you read the news there isn't a great deal that brings joy people usually say there's so much suffering in this world and that is one of the reasons they say they can't believe in God and they can't believe in his providence and in his wisdom that he allows these things but the apostle john here is writing with one express purpose that your joy may be complete that your joy may be full and we want to ask this morning what is this joy where does it come from how do you obtain it and these are the answers we're going to consider this morning from this passage so then what first of all is this joy and the answer that the text gives us is that this joy belongs to those who possess eternal life this joy is what is called eternal life john in verse 2 is declaring the life he says of jesus the word of life jesus christ was manifested we've seen we bear witness and we declare to you that eternal life which was with the father and was manifested to us and he's talking there of christ and the life that christ gives and brings when he comes into this world further on in his letter in chapter 5 and verse 11 he puts it this way coming towards the end this is the testimony that god has given us eternal life and this life is in his son he who has the son has life he who does not have the son of god does not have life and he's used speaking there of eternal life you may remember that John spoke often in his gospel, let alone his letter, of eternal life. And it is the Father who sent his Son into the world. And Jesus said in John 6 and verse 40, the will of, he's come to do the will of him who sent me. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life eternal life and i will raise him up at the last day now when john speaks and when jesus speaks of eternal life they're not simply speaking of a life that will go on forever and ever and ever that is true but eternal life is something which you possess when you come to faith in jesus christ the moment you believe upon jesus christ you pass from death to life you have eternal life and what is that eternal life well jesus tells us very clearly and john had been well taught by the lord jesus christ he would have heard the lord jesus christ pray this prayer in john chapter 17 where jesus christ says in the introduction to that prayer that God has given him God the Father has given him authority over all flesh that he should give 
eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And then he says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And you'll notice that that is really the theme that is here in these opening verses of chapter 1 of John's epistle. He's speaking here of knowing God. God the Father who has sent the Son and Jesus Christ who has come to give eternal life. He's speaking here of fellowship. Verse 3. We declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now John is not speaking here then about some wishful thinking. This is something real. This is something that John possesses. This is something his readers possess. And he wants to ensure that they are not turned away from this by false teaching and by a false way of living and they begin to drift away from the truth he's writing so that your joy in God the Father your joy in Jesus Christ your joy in possessing eternal life will be full it will be complete and you will enjoy being a Christian you will know that you are a Christian you will be assured that you are a Christian Fellowship with God in this way is nothing less than eternal salvation. It's not just a shared bond and a relationship. It is that. But the fellowship here, and the word is used elsewhere in the New Testament. I haven't time to give you all the examples of this, but it is used to describe eternal salvation, the forgiveness of sins, being taken out of the realm of sin and of darkness and of death and brought into the world of life and light and truth by faith in Jesus Christ. What John is speaking here then about is the grace, that undeserved kindness of God that conveys to us eternal life. In Jesus Christ. And this joy, this knowledge of God the Father, this knowledge of Jesus Christ, this believing in Him, this trusting in Him, receiving the forgiveness of sins, this is one of the distinguishing marks of a Christian. A Christian is someone who possesses eternal life and is characterized then by joy because of that right relationship now and that enjoyment of God as your Father and Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I was ask you then this morning, is that what causes you to be glad and joyful? Do you know what I am talking about? Do you know what John is talking about here? Is this part of your experience? Do you have any measure of real, lasting, permanent joy in God and in his Son, Jesus Christ? Now, I suspect that there are some here this morning who are saying, if they're honest, if you're being honest, you're saying, I'm not sure I know what this man's talking about. I'm not sure I know what John is talking about. You see, not everyone who is born into this world possesses eternal life. John has said, there are those who have life and there are those who do not have this life. There is the contrast. The Bible tells us that each one of us by nature are sinful. We do not possess eternal life. We are in a state of spiritual death. We are enemies of God. We do not enjoy fellowship with God at all. The Bible says, Paul says in Romans, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life then is a gift of God to those who are sinners, to know to those who know that they are sinful, to those who know and feel their guilt 
to those who repent of their sins and cast themselves as lost and guilty sinners upon Jesus Christ. They are those who are washed clean from their guilt, cleansed from their sins. They are accounted righteous. They know that they have been forgiven. They know, as we sung in that hymn, Jesus Christ died for me. And they are assured then that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses them from all sin. But you must pass from death to life. You must pass from death to life. You become a Christian. And John is writing to those who have become Christians, who have passed from death to life. Or at least those who profess that they have passed from death to life, because he gives a number of tests by which they may know. But he is writing so that they will know, they will be assured, they will have their joy complete. But it may come as a bit of a shock to you when you are told, look, the Bible tells us you have sinned. I've sinned. You've sinned. The Bible tells us that. And we're not right with God. When you first hear that, it comes as a bit of a shock to your system. When I've told people in the past, look, on the basis of what I can see, I don't think you are a Christian at this point in time. They've got very angry and cross with me. How dare you, they say. But my concern is that they will have eternal life. And while they remain in their sin, they won't have eternal life. There's one of the Proverbs that says, All the ways of men are pure in their own eyes. But the Lord weighs the spirits. And when the Lord weighs the human heart and the human spirit, he doesn't find that true knowledge of God. He finds ignorance, he finds unrighteousness, a massive impurity. You can't rely on being a religious person. You cannot rely upon doing your best. You cannot rely upon being sincere. You cannot rely on the fact that you might read the Bible, you might pray, that you do good. And you're looking for something that will make you feel good. Some people come in here and they say, oh I go away and I feel good, I get a nice warm glow. Well, I can get a warm glow from doing all sorts of things. doesn't necessarily mean that you become a Christian. To possess eternal life is to realize it is a gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And you must have gone to Jesus Christ in order to receive that gift. It's a personal thing. Faith is very personal. You put your trust, you put your trust in a person. The person of Jesus Christ who came into this world to save sinners. And that's what fills the mind of the Apostle John when he says, These things we write to you that your joy may be full. He wants them to have and to enjoy that joy. It's permanent. It knows no bounds. Now, admittedly, let me qualify this. That joy can ebb and flow. It is not constant. There are days when you may not experience that joy and that gladness that comes from trusting in Christ and knowing God as your Father and Jesus as your Saviour and having that experience then of eternal life. There are darker days and darker nights. But the grounds and the reasons for joy are not changeable. God does not change. When God gives gifts... He doesn't remove them. When God gives eternal life in his son Jesus Christ, he doesn't give it with one hand and then take it away with the other. He doesn't give it to you one month and one year and then take it away from you the next month or the next year. When he gives you eternal life, 
He gives it to you for eternity. The gifts of God are without repentance. So this joy then that the Apostle John is speaking of here is not a joy that is derived from mere human beings. It's something which is special. It is something that is very different. It is something that comes, as it were, from the outside. By that I mean it comes from God. It is something given to you, bestowed upon you. But it is something which you know and something which you experience and enjoy. The knowledge of God, your Father. The knowledge of Jesus Christ, your Saviour. But how can it be then obtained? It is a gift, but how can it be obtained? Well, there is a near source and there is an ultimate source in this passage. I struggled. I've changed it five or six times to try and find a better way of putting it across to you, but I can't find one. And that's one of the frustrations sometimes of being a preacher. Probably someone will come up to me after and say, why didn't you say this and this? Well, it didn't occur to me. It still hasn't occurred to me. I've struggled. But here's the near source, the immediate source, is the Apostles' written testimony. Notice what he says in verse 4. These things we, what? We write to you that your joy may be full. Here is something then that is available, something that is near, something that is present. You don't have to go far at all. If you've got your Bible in your hand in front of you, these are the things that are written. And these things are written not just for John's readers, they're written for you, for me, for generations of men and women after the Apostle John. You read again, you see, in verses 1 and 2, that which we have, sorry, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. That's concerning Jesus Christ. The life was manifested, we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And what he's saying is, we've written these things down. They're in black and white, so that you can read them and have them read out to you. So what I'm saying this morning, what John is saying is, if you do not yet possess eternal life, then you're in the right place because you are hearing the things that have been written down. That's how you come to know these things. It's from the scriptures. The word scripture literally means the written down word of God. God has entrusted his own word to men like John. Now John is not just then a random man, any old man plucked from out of nowhere. He is a special man. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is one who has heard, who has seen, whose hands have handled the word of life. In other words, he has heard Jesus Christ. He has seen Jesus Christ. He has touched Jesus Christ. John was one of the early disciples of the Lord Jesus. You remember in the early parts of the Gospels, he was a fisherman in Galilee. There was James and John, and there were Peter and Andrew. James and John were brothers. Simon, Peter, and Andrew were brothers. But they became disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they became apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were special. Jesus Christ sent them out in order to proclaim the words of eternal life. And John, if you remember, John was one of the closest, if not the closest, of the disciples to Jesus. He was the one who leant upon the chest, the breast of Jesus, 
when they were reclining at the table. Now let me emphasize what John is writing and saying in these four verses. I've stressed, let me stress again, because he repeats it again in verse 3. What we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, we've looked upon, our hands have handled. Then verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. John was an eyewitness. Remember, we've been looking through the early chapters of Luke's Gospel. Pastor Jeremy has been opening up those passages. And the opening verses of Luke's Gospel, he says, I've collected this information about Christ from eyewitnesses. John was one of those eyewitnesses. He'd heard, he'd seen, and the word there he looked upon is not just a glance. It's, it's, it's a looking that takes in. It's a concentrated observing, a careful weighing of what you are seeing and hearing and handling. And you see, when Jesus Christ came into this world, he made himself known to a group of men in particular called the Twelve Disciples, the Twelve Apostles. They were the ones who heard, they were the ones who saw, and in those three years it made a lasting impression and impact upon them. Let me try and convey the significance of the fact that these men were confronted with the Lord Jesus Christ. Suppose I asked you to turn around to someone outside your own family here this morning person along your row and supposing I said to you exchange a few words of greeting uh, shake their hand give them a hug you say okay but that isn't particularly important but supposing then I told you that the person you are speaking to the person whose hand you are shaking supposing I told you that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That would be a very different scenario. But that's precisely what happened when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and his disciples. And he introduced Jesus to them and said, This man coming towards you, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This one is the creator of the heavens and the earth. This one is the saviour of sinners. And John is saying, I heard his words. I saw him and what he did. I gazed upon him, I contemplated, I reflected long and hard on what he was saying and doing. I touched him. He took real nature, he took a real human nature. John says, earlier on in his gospel, we beheld the glory of Christ when the word, the word became flesh. The glory is as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You think of the impact that those three years had on John and the other disciples. Three years they were exposed to his teaching. They heard the Sermon on the Mount. They heard the parables. They heard his expose of the false leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They saw the miracles that he performed. They saw men and women who were diseased, demon-possessed, couldn't walk, couldn't see, couldn't hear. Their lives were transformed. They were healed. They saw those things. And John was one of the three who stood on the Mount of Transfiguration. There was Peter. There was James. There was John. 
And he heard the testimony of the Father, that voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then remember, hear him, listen to him. John says, I heard these things, I'm telling you these things. John was among the sleepy disciples on that night before our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified there in the garden of Gethsemane he saw and he heard the agonizing cries that fell from the lips of Christ he saw the drops of bloody sweat he was there at the crucifixion he saw the nails driven into the hands and the feet of Christ he was entrusted with the care of the mother of Jesus he heard those cries from the cross he heard that cry my God my God why have you forsaken me and he heard that cry of triumph it is finished but he was also an eyewitness of the resurrection he heard him and saw him raised from the dead he touched him He was there on that occasion in Galilee when Jesus was on the shore and he cooked fish. And at first the disciples didn't recognize him. And then they did. And John was there. John was there when Jesus ascended into heaven. He heard the testimony of the angels. He was an eyewitness. He was one who was sent by Jesus Christ one of the apostles to preach and to bear witness to testify to declare go into all the nations of the world you're going to be my witnesses and john is writing as this kind of man he is an apostle the things that he has written are intended then to bring us to salvation to eternal life in jesus christ that our joy may be complete that our joy may be full That's why you have John's gospel. That's why you have John's letters. Let me remind you why John wrote his gospel. It's there at the end of his gospel in John chapter 20. Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Notice his emphasis again on writing. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, a lot of people stumble. They say, well, you know, I, 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 I have difficulties with the Bible. I, I'd, rather, I'd rather be persuaded some other way. People say things like, well, if, if you could put Jesus in the room here now, he'd do a miracle, then I'd believe in him. But that isn't God's way of working. God's way of working. And that's what we have to submit to. This is what God is saying to us. God has caused all these things to be written down. And it is as you go to the scriptures. And as you read the scriptures. And as we preach the scriptures. We preach Christ. We preach the way of eternal life. John's great joy. And his delight and pleasure then was to declare to others all that he had seen, all that he had heard, the things that he had handled concerning Jesus Christ. Again, I underline, he's not any old man, he's not a random man. He's one specifically chosen of Christ to write these things down so that we today may read them and reading them we may come to have our joy complete. We may come to salvation. How does anyone come to know Jesus Christ? Is as you read the testimony of the scriptures. So you don't need to go very far. You don't need to undertake a big journey to Jerusalem or to the Holy Land to find Jesus Christ. He is here. The writings, the scriptures, the things that are written down. Here is an immediate source right at hand. John is the eyewitness then proclaiming Christ. And when you believe on Christ, then John can say, truly our fellowship is with you. Your fellowship is with us. 
You haven't had the same personal experience as John. You haven't heard, you haven't seen, you haven't handled the word of life. But that does not disqualify you. Because Jesus Christ is proclaimed and all you need to know about Christ is written down in the Holy Scriptures. And you then have eternal salvation when you trust in Christ. You have eternal life. So this eternal life, this joy then is well within your grasp. Even of you children, as the Bible has explained to you in Sunday school, your parents, as you hear the words of life, you're hearing the words of eternal life because you're hearing Christ. Remember Peter? Are you going to go away, said Jesus? We're going nowhere. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You have the words of eternal life. Now, if you have that kind of conviction that it's here in the Bible and only here in the Bible, then what is that going to say about your attitude to reading, hearing, and understanding of receiving the Scriptures? All you need to have is in your hands. It's here. It's written down. Before your eyes and within earshot. May God open your eyes to see and to believe. That's the near source, but there is an ultimate source, thirdly. And here we're plumbing the depths. Because the ultimate source is the love of God in Jesus Christ and sending Jesus Christ into this world. He is the ultimate source of joy, wonder, and amazement that God should send his son into this world. That is what John is declaring. The main verb, the action, is in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. It is the proclamation then of Jesus Christ and the one who has sent him into this world, God the Father. It is the taking of our nature by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is the most stupendous fact in human history. When John begins, he says, that which was from the beginning. This life was manifested, it was revealed, it was made known. It was the revelation of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. We proclaim to you what was from the beginning. That's the big idea, from the beginning. That is, it has echoes of Genesis 1 and John chapter 1. It's not the beginning of Christ's humanity here upon earth in Bethlehem. The Jesus whom John is declaring is the one who existed before anything or anybody else. He is uncreated. He is the unmade one. He is the eternal Son of God. And He came. He appeared. He was manifest. And people heard Him. People saw Him. People weighed up who He was. And receiving the testimony, they believed. And they received eternal life. He came as a light shining into the darkness. This is the one who was with the Father from eternity. Yet this is the one who took our nature and came into this world and suffered and bled and died on that cross to give us eternal life. Sinners cut off from God. Now drawn into fellowship to know God as their Father and Jesus Christ as their Savior because their sins have been forgiven. The ultimate source is the love of God the Father in sending His Son 
Jesus Christ into this world. It's that which grips the heart of the Apostle John. It's that which has filled him with joy. And he wants his readers to enter into that joy and to have their joy complete. That's the great goal of the gospel. You see, when Adam was made and placed in the Garden of Eden, he enjoyed fellowship with God until that terrible day when he disobeyed God and death entered into this world and sin was the, con- was the cause of that death and God drove Adam out of the garden. And they were cut off from God. But God has been seeking us. God has been working out his plan and purpose. He never intended to abandon the human race. To its terrible destiny. As a result of Adam's sin and transgression. He sent his son into the world. To restore everything that Adam lost. But it took a death, the terrible death of Christ on the cross to atone for sin. It took the resurrection from the dead to conquer death itself. John is declaring this Christ. He says this is, this is the revelation. This is what was manifest from heaven. This is what it's all about. And its roots are in the eternal love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Are you surprised then that John is filled with joy? Are you surprised that he wants you to be filled, you his readers, you his hearers as it were, that he wants you to be filled with that same joy in God? your Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Nothing fills the heart with joy for the Apostle John more than the fact that he knows sinners have passed from death to life. That's his great goal. Nothing fills a pastor's heart, a preacher's heart, an evangelist's heart with more joy than to know that sinners pass from death to life that the gospel is bearing fruit and my desire is this morning that you would if you are not yet a Christian you would pass from death to life that you would come to put your trust in Jesus Christ see why is he presented to you in this way why is it all written down what have you got to do to hear to read these things and to receive them and to believe them and then go to Jesus Christ and say I'm a lost and guilty sinner give me life give me eternal life I cannot save myself wash me clean cleanse me from my sins and grant me that life which only you can give or do you hear these things and go back and begin to quibble and question and skeptical and say well I can't believe all these things you're frustrated you're disappointed by all the things that are happening to you in this world you go away you feel angry you feel bewildered you feel bitter well those things are not going to fill you with joy are they you fill your heart with earthly treasures and pleasures fleeting elusive The joy that lasts, the joy that is permanent is a gift from God. And it is to God in Jesus Christ that you must go to possess that joy. But you may have that joy. You may have eternal life given to you now, today. If you will come to Jesus Christ, confess your sins, and ask him to save you and give you eternal life. And if you are a Christian here this morning and you contemplate Christ, 
You say, well, there are times when my, my joy is not what it ought to be. It ebbs, it flows, yes. And there are sorrows, there are disappointments, there are times when we are sad. That's the reality of living in this world. What is the answer? What must we do? Go back and saturate yourself in the scriptures. Saturate yourselves in the love of God in Jesus Christ. Go back to him who is your saviour. Back to him who is your prophet to teach you. Your priest who has laid down his life for you. Intercedes for you at the right hand of his father. Who knows your specific needs. And is full of compassion and power as he was here upon earth. At the throne of grace you go to him. And he is your king. You go to him as your king. As the one who rules this vast universe for the good of you and the good of his church the one who protects you the one who guards you the one who guides you the one who will lead you to glory you go back to Christ your shepherd because of his love and his care he knows every one of his sheep by name and he says they will never perish no one can pluck them from my hand in fact no one can pluck them from my father's hand and he sees back with the Father. Eternal life is to know the Father, to know the Son, and to know that no one can take you away from God the Father. No one can pluck you from the hand of Jesus Christ. That fills you with joy. And it restores a joy when you begin to realize that. Because you've forgotten it. And you've lived as if it wasn't true. But where did you find that? We went back to the Scriptures. Back to the promises of Christ. You will face trials. You will face temptations. You will be buffeted. You will be bruised by Satan. You will face losses. You will face disappointments. But are those going to rob you of Christ? Are those going to take away from you the gift of eternal life? Is all your joy going to be dissolved because of those things? Can death itself separate you from the love of God? Can sickness and ill health? Those things in and of themselves are not pleasant. But they cannot destroy. They cannot destroy the joy that you have in Jesus Christ. He is your safety. He is your security. You say, but oh, my sin, my remaining sin... Remaining sin is a great thief. And it robs us of joy. It steals it away. If you are a real Christian, nothing troubles you like sin. It annoys you. It irritates you. It distresses you. It disturbs your peace. What does John say? Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that is the way to have your joy then restored to know that God in Christ forgives and cleanses you pray Lord take away my sins all oh, that I might know the purity and the power and the perfection of the heaven that is to come when I will be free from all these things but there's one last thing that I say by way of application John is writing that your joy may be complete it may be full do others see that joy which flows out of your fellowship with God the Father and with God the Son do they know, do they see that you are different? That you have a delight in and a contentment with God that they know nothing of? Are you marked by a thankful, cheerful, joyful spirit that shows that you are a Christian? What is your testimony before those with you work with, before your neighbours, before your own children?
Do you complain? Do you murmur? Do you grumble? And does that drive away then your joy? See, murmuring and grumbling, they're killjoys. That's what they are. They kill it. They destroy it. If you are a Christian, then your life ought to be marked by a joy in God that rises above complaining and murmuring and rises above the trials and temptations and even the buffetings of Satan and even above remaining sin. It ought to be the predominant note of the life of everyone who says, I am a Christian. You have eternal life. There is no greater gift. There is no greater blessing than eternal life in Jesus Christ. And to know that God is your Father. And that Jesus Christ is your Redeemer and Saviour. May we all know then more of that joy. That what John says will be true of us. That our joy may be complete. It may be full. Amen. We thank you, our God, for your matchless love and condescension. We thank you for the gospel of our dear Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his willingness to come into this world and to bear the penalty for sin, to die on that cross, in order that we might be forgiven, in order that we might be brought by your Holy Spirit to know you as our Saviour, and to know the one whom you have sent as our Father. Lord, what grace you have lavished upon us. So grant that we may be filled then with that joy, that joy unspeakable, that joy that is full of glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.